Hello and welcome. It is Eric Erickson here, the Eric Erickson Show, across the state of Georgia, around the nation and the world on the internet, Facebook Live right now. The phone number, if you want to be a part of the program, 877-97-ERIC, 877-973-7425. Let me... First, explain what happened on Friday. For those of you who are listening, I got emails from a bunch of listeners saying, hey, why am I hearing Thursday again? So I I cannot go to my radio studio uh, given the virus situation. We are in, in home confinement uh, by and large. Uh, the governor, my wife, qualifies as part of the shelter-in-place situation, so I can't leave the house either. Uh, so broadcasting from home, and I've got a special connection between my home and my radio studio so I can be home in a studio and it sounds I mean, you you would not know if I didn't tell you I wasn't in a radio studio because of this connection I have well somehow or another uh, the phone company got a disconnect order on Thursday afternoon after the show was over and they disconnected the line Thursday afternoon and it was an error and no one knows how the disconnect order wound up uh, but they couldn't get it turned back on uh, in time for the show on Friday. They actually showed up at the house Friday morning uh, thinking that it was uh, the, the phone company guys did. The AT&T guys showed up at the house at 8.15 to try to get me on air by 9 o'clock, and they couldn't figure out what was going on. They spent an hour testing every part of the line, and only after spending an hour and realizing there was nothing wrong with the line did they realize that a disconnect order had been filed and the, a computer had turned the line off. So <laughs> it took them until sometime Friday afternoon around 3 o'clock before the line was turned back on. Now, I was able to overnight special equipment, uh, but the equipment had a bug in it. And it was, just, it was a series of unfortunate errors. Uh, and now I'm back, thankfully. But, man, what a mess it was. It was so aggravating. Uh, and, and very thankful for the two guys from AT&T who came out and, and were able to get everything up and running again. Uh, just, this is, this is life in, in quarantine America, I suppose. Now the phone number here, if you want to be part of the program, 404, uh, no wrong number. Uh, I don't want to give you my cell phone number. Uh, 877-97-ERIC, 877-973-7425. The president just spent an hour with Fox and friends. It was a phone, uh, conversation with them. And he said something that is already causing uh, reporters to lose their minds. Uh, What the president said is that the uh, we were going to have two point a minimum of two point two million deaths, and thanks to what he's done, we will have death, unfortunately, but not nearly as many deaths as what everyone had said. This is causing a media meltdown this morning uh, in the press, on social media, among reporters. Now, everyone who listens to this show is aware of the projection. Uh, I have explained it, and let me walk through it again, because there is some willful obfuscation going on among people uh, trying to undermine the projections. And I want to explain the projections to you, because they're models and they're projections, and when you bring them up, people say, oh, you're scaring people, you're needlessly scaring people. No, you need to understand the data. I'm assuming you're all big boys and girls, and, and we can all understand this, because I do need to break this down for you. The reason that world governments reacted the way they've reacted 
is in large part because of an Imperial College simulation that put in all the variables and determined that in the United States there would be 4 million deaths if we did absolutely nothing, 2.2 million deaths from the virus. And the reason that they came up with this is if you presume at the time they were presuming it was a transmission rate of one person infects 2.3 people, it's actually one person infects three people. We now know that. And if you, there's no natural immunity. Everyone alive who comes into contact with the virus tends to get the virus because uh, lack of natural immunity. We actually still don't understand why some people come into contact with it and don't get it, uh, given that no one has natural immunity. There are things about this virus we don't understand. But based on what we do understand, one person infects up to three people, and uh, it is highly contagious. It survives in the wild longer than the flu does. Uh, it takes longer for the symptoms to show up, and you're contagious before you actually see signs of the symptoms so it makes it easier for you to come into contact with other people without having self-isolated all those things if we treated this like the the flu and we just let it run rampant uh, and we did nothing we went about our lives their projections were that uh 100 150 million americans would get it uh, because the flu infects 60 million americans to 40 to 60 million americans and this, we know the contagion rate is higher than the flu, so that's what it would, if we did nothing. And again, this is all, if we did nothing, if we just went about our daily lives with people getting sick and, and we didn't do anything, that's the scenario that would play out. And as a result, we know the mortality rate is about 3% globally, so you do the math and you come up with 2 million people dead. Well, then you also know that hospitals would be maxed out. And so there would be people who need health care who can't get it because the hospitals are full. So you add those people in, the people who have a heart attack, the people who have a blood clot, the people who have cancer, the people who, who break a leg, the people who are bleeding out, all, all sorts of things. You, you add all those in, the people who get the regular flu or pneumonia need hospitalization and can't because the hospitals are full. And that's where you come up with essentially the, a population the size of Los Angeles would die. You, you, you do very basic minimization stuff, keep sick people at home and keep the elderly at home, and you still wind up with about a million people dead. Those are the projections, and there are a lot of people willfully trying to undermine those and cast doubt on those projections. And by the way, they're not in dispute with anybody. Dr. Fauci, Dr. Burks, the president, nobody disputes those projections. What, what, what is disputed, however, is the media has been hanging their hat on those projections as this is what's going to happen when that's not what's going to happen. It's not what's going to happen because the world responded. And, and so uh, Neil Ferguson, who was the author of the paper and ran the simulation, who himself himself, by the way, got COVID-19, pointed out that the reason they've revised down everything so dramatically is because they factored in now what happens when everybody locks down, what happens when people shelter in place, what happens when people don't venture outside. And guess what? The model changes dramatically, as they said it would originally. And they're still projecting upwards of 100,000 deaths in the United States. But no one is saying, except the press, no one is saying that millions of people are going to die. What the model said and what the experts say and what I've been trying to relate to you, and by the way, I get hate mail on a daily basis for talking about this from people saying I'm needlessly scaring everyone and I'm not trying to scare anyone. And I realize there are people who just hear what they want to hear and they want to be mad at something, so they're mad at me. What The point of giving you the numbers is to show you if we treated this like the flu and we did absolutely nothing, do we don't shut down the country for the flu. We all go about our business. And you hear this now. 
let's just not shut down the country. Just keep people who have the flu at home, keep the people who have this at home, and, and everybody go about their business. And the problem is he, this, the model shows you what would happen if we did that because, again, no one has natural immunity to this virus. And we know that the death rate is 1% to 3%, much higher than the flu. And so when you go home and when you, uh, when you stay at home, when you shelter in place, guess what happens? The virus doesn't spread. If you stay in your house and you don't let people come in who might be infected, you don't get sick. They can't, the people who are sick can't spread it. And the numbers dramatically change. In fact, in Washington state that had the massive original spike, uh, the numbers have they've fallen off dramatically. Washington state is coming through this. Now, contrast that with New York City, where in New York City, they didn't do things. In fact, in New York City, up until uh, the week before St. Patrick's Day, New York City officials were still encouraging people to go out and have a good time and drink and ride the subway and, and mingle together, even though by then we knew it was spreading socially. And in New York City, it's an absolute disaster. You have a studied contrast between Washington state that took it seriously and sheltered in place and New York City that did not. And the media is trying to blame the president. But this is happening this morning. And I got to tell you, there is a part of me that finds this really funny. I was actually laughing about it when I saw it beginning to explode this morning. In fact, while I'm here on the fly with you, uh, because I love you, uh, I'm going to I'm gonna do this on the fly, see if I can find the audio. I'm not sure it's been listed yet. I have a special program I can get into uh, where I can try to find the audio of these things. Let's see. Um, um, let's see. Nope, nope. Yeah, 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 yeah. Here it is. It's already up. Yeah, this this is this is a clip from Fox and Friends. This is the president's interview. It happened just a short time ago, and listen to this because this is what's driving the media crazy today. That's this right. week, you know, uh, Mr. President, today is Monday, this March thirtieth. It could 30th. be this week. Yeah, uh, right. coming up on. Okay, uh, today is um, March thirtieth. Coming up on Wednesday, it's going to be April first, and this really is a make or break. Uh, week, Mr. President, because, you know, a lot of uh, businesses are going to have to say, okay, uh, the rent is due. Uh, can do? Am I going to be able to pay the rent? Am I going to have to talk to the landlord? Who am I going to have to lay off? Who am I going to be able to keep? Because this is such a make or break week for the people looking in. I know yesterday you were talking about the importance of we're going to get through this all together. But there are a lot of people who are worried about their finances right now. Well, I agree, and uh, nobody more worried than me for the whole country. And look, a thing like this has never happened. So we have the best economy in the history of our country by far. We've had the best employment numbers we've ever had with African Americans, Asian Americans, with uh, Hispanic Americans, everybody. The best you've heard it a hundred times. We had the best we've ever had. And then one day they said, by the way, there's a virus coming in, and everyone's saying, what's that all about? And in one day, we had to shut it down. And by the way, you, I don't know if you saw yesterday, but the question I've been asking, a lot of people have been asking, if we didn't shut it down, because I used to say, a lot of people said, well, could you just have kept it going? You know, like the flu, like a bad case of the flu, a really bad case. And the answer came in yesterday through Dr. Fauci and through Deborah Burks. The answer came in, if we did that. In other words, if we just kept the business as usual and didn't do anything to stop it or impede it, uh, could could have been 2.2 million people could have died. 2.2 million people uh, would have been between 1.6, they say. Right. I mean, they showed you the 
the numbers 1.6 and 2.2 million people it could have been more than that so you know that's when you realize that what we did last week with the two trillion dollar bill was was very worth it but if you got anywhere near a number like that now we're trying to keep you know i i say we want to do something where we have the least death that was the president on Fox and Friends earlier, uh, and it's kind of a big deal that he pointed all of this out because that's the number the media has been using, and that's what the experts said, and now they're mad at him, and that's the point, and that's why this is funny. They're mad at the president for saying this this morning. Why? Because the, the media line is the president should have acted sooner. The president should have acted sooner. And the media built this up in January that the president should have acted sooner, uh, except the media didn't say it in January. They're saying it now. They're saying the president, while going through impeachment and being attacked by the media for actually stopping travel to China, they're now saying the president should have acted sooner. When the president did act in January, the media was mad at him in January for acting. And now the president saying, listen, had I not acted in January and closed the travel with China, we'd have 2.2 million people dead. And the brains of the media are exploding this morning that they've been saying this 2.2 million number now for a month. And the president points out, hey, had I not done what I did, we'd have 2.2 million people dead. And the media's like, what? You can't say that. You can't say that, Mr. President. But he can. I mean, the media is trying to have it both ways on this. They, 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 they're, they're damning him for acting in January and damning him for not acting more now. Uh, and, and what's he doing? Uh, you know, a month ago, the president said he wanted to close. He, he was not going to issue uh, a shutdown of the full nation. It was case-by-case case basis, and what did the media do? The media lost its mind. The president was not going to shut down the nation. We needed a permanent lockdown. We needed a lockdown immediately across the nation. We need a complete lockdown. So over the weekend, the president said, you know, maybe we need a lockdown for New York, New Jersey, and part of Connecticut. And what's the media? Oh, you can't do that. That's federalism. You're not allowed to do that. So a month ago, the very same reporters who are right now attacking the president for this weekend suggesting we needed a lockdown of, of parts of New York, a month ago were attacking the president because he wasn't going to shut down the entire nation. They've constructed a scenario by which this president can't win ever with the media. They did this. The media did this. They've willfully chosen to believe Chinese data over American data, despite all the evidence. And we'll, we got to spend time on China today. They willfully chose to do that. They willfully attacked the president in January while distracting him with impeachment. They attacked him for actually taking decisive action against China by closing the border. They then attacked him for not doing enough and wanted him to shut down the nation. He shuts down the nation and says, maybe we need to put a travel ban in place in New York City, and they attack him for that. There's no way for the president to win here. They wanted the president to act like a leader. The president acts like a leader, and the media still wants to treat him as if none of this had happened, which means more and more people are actually going to tune out the media. And by the way, there's polling out there suggesting this is all helping the president, and that's driving the media even more insane over this. It is Eric Erickson here at the phone number 877-97-ERIC-877-973-7425. I, I decided to uh, compile all of the relevant links I've been seeing you. I, I, I can only text so many links uh, before I go bankrupt because it costs me money to send it back to you. That's one reason I encourage people to subscribe to my Substack newsletter. You know, I don't actually make a salary off this program. 
So uh, listeners stepping up and subscribing to Substack actually helps. But I have compiled uh, all of the relevant links that you guys have been looking for into my Substack newsletter. And if you text the word data to 33777, I will send you back a link uh, to that. Uh, And that link actually has all the relevant information. So within that link... If you open it in in a web browser, you will find the Johns Hopkins University Global Dashboard, the state of Georgia county-by-county virus data, uh, a specific spreadsheet on U.S. testing, transmission, and deaths, state-by-state projections of the virus spread, when we'll reach capacity uh, in hospitals, and when the peak will be per state, a very handy guide to the stimulus from Senator Rubio's office, a Chamber of Commerce primer for small businesses on how they can, small businesses can get money from the stimulus, a CNN overview of what's in the stimulus, the uh, Small Business Administration disaster loan page, uh, a comparison between the flu and COVID-19, and also state by state, how states are responding. Like here in Georgia, for example, there are some areas of the state that have shelter in place and some areas that, that do not. Uh, I'm in Bibb County, which does not have shelter in place, but has closed non-essential businesses. Restaurants are to go only. Uh, gyms and salons are, are closed down. But the New York Times has been compiling this state by state. And all those links are there. If you text the word data to 33777, uh, you'll get a link back to this website that I have built uh, where all of these links are there. Now, specifically, let me answer some questions on the stimulus plan. If you make $75,000 or less, you're going to get $1,200. Double the numbers for married couples. So uh, married couples, 75, what, 75, 75, 150 uh, or less, and uh, you'll get $2,400. You'll get $500 per child under the age of 18 in your house. Uh, Once you get up to $99,000 for an individual, double that for a married couple, uh, you'll get into nothing. Uh, If you're on Social Security or uh, Veterans Benefits, you will get the money as well. Um, That has been clarified now. But if you are a small business, if if your business, and they define small business as 500 people or less in the business, and you're having trouble making payroll, the government is going to provide you very low interest loans starting Wednesday through your bank. And you will be able to get up to $10 million for payroll. And that money will turn into most of it, not all of it, but most of it will convert to a grant in June if you do not lay off anyone. So you'll be able to meet your payroll for the next several months and keep people paid. And then come June, most of the money that has been loaned to you by your bank will be paid for by the federal government and not you, and you won't have to pay it back. And the whole point of this is to encourage you to keep people on your payroll, but then let them stay home instead of coming to work. That link is in this. Uh, there's There's a heading called Stimulus Plan. And there's a link to the Chamber of Commerce Primer for Small Businesses, and it explains it all to you how it will work. Uh, If you need to see this, text the word DATA to 33777. I will send you back that information. Um, There's no charge for this, by the way, for me. Um, But I do encourage you to subscribe to my Substack newsletter because there is stuff I'm sending out um, that you do have to be subscribed to. It's 70 bucks a year, $7 a month. Um, But this information here, there's no charge. I don't want to profit off COVID-19. I just want to make sure everybody has this information available. The Small Business Administration stuff is very thoughtfully done for small businesses of less than 500 people. Uh, Down to sole proprietors, by the way. Sole proprietors and 1099 contractors, there are benefits to you 
in the stimulus plan to make sure you have steady income coming in uh, and then are not burdened with a bunch of debt uh, in June, July that you have to pay back. A lot of the stuff converts to grants. Uh, if you keep doing what you're doing. So educate yourself on that. Talk to your accountant. A lot of this stuff is new, but the loan applications at most banks will start this Wednesday to make sure you can meet your payroll. When we come back, we actually need to talk about campaign 2020. There's polling out between Joe Biden and Donald Trump, and it actually looks pretty terrible for Joe Biden right now. And the Democrats are starting to panic about it, raising Andrew Cuomo's name yet again in the race between Trump and whoever the Democrats want to put up. So a word real quick about some polling at Fox News. Welcome back. It's Eric Erickson here at the Eric Erickson Show. And Fox is polling swing counties in the nation. Swing counties. And I am of the opinion that it is very hard to do that polling accurately. And I think the the variability is showing. And the reason I say that is because Fox's polling uh, is different from everybody else's polling. Fox's polling shows a runaway race for Joe Biden, and no one else actually shows that. In fact, ABC News and the Washington Post uh, have come out with a poll that shows that uh, the president and Joe Biden are roughly tied. Now, here's what's interesting. The ABC News Washington Post poll, has Donald Trump at 47% nationally and Joe Biden at 49% nationally. Yes, nationally is the key word here. Registered, and it's among registered voters. So nationally, we know uh, that unless the pollster is very careful to balance states, they're going to oversample states like California and New York uh, that are going to lean towards Joe Biden to begin with. But more important than that, uh, because of statistical sampling, is the polling on registered voters. Now, here's the way it works. When you poll all Americans, all Americans, uh, a a polling sample of all adult Americans leans Democrat by four to six points. Four to six points. The reason is because all Americans do tend to, if you're polling all Americans, they tend to uh, be more Democrat than Republican, all Americans. Now, not all Americans vote. But all Americans uh, tend to be more weighted towards the Democrats than the Republicans. When you poll registered voters as opposed to all Americans, that is the people who have registered to vote and could vote, that actually leans Democrat 2% to 4%. And the reason is because uh, it is very easy to be registered to vote in the United States as an adult. And just like all Americans lean Democrat, registered voters tend to lean Democrat slightly, 2 to 4%. And uh, so registered voters, when you are a Republican and you see a registered voter poll and you're two to four percent away, it, it, you're within a margin of error just based on the biases of registered uh, voters. Not all registered voters vote. The best polling, the most accurate polling is actually polling of likely voters. Now, who are likely voters? Believe it or not, you can call up the secretary of state's office in your state and you can ask for a voter file. And they will typically send it to you on a, on a, if you remember what a CD or a DVD is, yes. Uh, they'll typically send it to you on that. If you have a Mac, good luck because you don't have a DVD or a CD drive in your laptop anymore. But uh, they'll send it to you. Some, some states now do it on a flash drive so you can plug it in. But uh, nonetheless, they send you a spreadsheet and it is actually a database 
and it is of every voter who is registered in the in your state. Remember, uh, two years ago, there was a problem in Georgia where the Georgia Secretary of State's office relied, they had outsourced management of the list to a group, I believe at Kennesaw State, and Kennesaw State did not realize that it had everybody's social security numbers in the file, so they sent it out, and it had everybody's social security number on it. Now, they only sent out five or six copies before it was caught, and they got all five or six copies back, uh, so it wasn't a, as big a deal as it could have been, but it was still, uh, they tried to make it a campaign issue against Brian Kemp because he was Secretary of State at the time. He threw Kennesaw State under the bus, and it was their fault, but nonetheless, uh, so you get the voter file. And the voter file shows you everyone in the state who's registered to vote and whether or not they have voted. And if they have voted, in which primaries they have voted. So, for example, uh, if you were to pull up the voter file for me, what you would find is that in uh, federal elections, I vote regularly and vote in the Republican primary and vote in Republican presidential preferences. Remember, in Georgia, with the exception of this year because of the virus, the, the presidential election, presidential primary is always a different day from the general primary. But this year, they'll be the same. Uh, so typically what you'll see is that I vote in the Republican presidential election. Now, there have been times in the past uh, where I have voted in Democratic primaries because there were no Republicans on the ballot and you wanted to weigh in for sheriff. And all the people, the Republicans and the Democrats, are all running as Democrat for sheriff and you want to find the best one. So you got to vote in a Democratic primary. Well, here's the deal. Uh, you do that, and if you vote Republican in the presidential or Republican in some and Democrat in others, you are considered uh, a, depending on your, your predominance, if you mostly vote in Democratic primaries, but some Republicans, you're considered a soft Democrat. If you vote mostly in Republican primaries, but a few Democratic primaries, you're considered a soft Republican. If you do not vote in primaries at all, you're considered a general-only voter. And if you vote straight Republican, you're considered a hard Republican, straight Democrat, a hard Democrat. Those are the designations HDHR, SDSR, uh, GV, and M. An M is a mixed voter, someone who votes uh, half the time in Republican primaries, half the time in Democratic primaries. And you can generally assert a pattern. You know, I mean, this is the way it is. I mean, you're in Georgia. You take North Georgia. North Georgia is the most Republican part of the state still. Uh, Forsyth County, that area, Cherokee County, highly Republican. So if you're a Democrat and you want to get elected in Cherokee County, you run as a Republican. And if you're a Democratic voter and you want to vote for the most likely Democratic candidate, you have to vote in the Republican primary. And, but then you get into the, your, your presidential primaries. You want to vote in the Democratic primary. You could be a mixed voter. You could vote half the time in a Republican and half the time in Democratic primaries. And you got to decide. Well, you get the voter file and it shows you all this. It's never going to show you who you vote for. I cannot tell you the number of times I go through this with people and they always say, so what you're telling me is the my voter file can tell who I voted for? No, no. What your voter file can tell is what party you prefer in primaries. And you can logically presume that if someone is voting in a Republican primary every year, when you get to the general election, they're going to vote for the Republican candidate. Or same with the Democrats. And so what you can tell with registered voters is registered voters tend to lean Democrat. But with registered voters, a lot of registered voters don't actually vote. Their preference would be Democrat, but they don't go vote. So the best, most accurate polling is the likely voter. The likely voter is a fairly even balance of people who vote. And the way you turn the likely, figure out the likely voter is you actually go get that voter file from the Secretary of State's office. 
and you find the people who always vote in presidential election years, and there's your likely voter. They have voted in the last three presidential elections. By God, they're going to vote in this one. Why? Because past patterns of practice with people, they may not pass past patterns may not be the best indicator of future performance in a stock market, but past patterns among people are the best indicator of future performance of a person. So if you're always voting in Republican primaries, by God, you're probably going to vote in a Republican primary this time. If you always vote in presidential elections, by God, you're going to vote in a presidential election this year. There's your likely voters. And they tend to be fairly accurate to a slight bias of Democrats. And the reason there's a slight bias of Democrats in that polling has more to do with California, New York, and Chicago than anything else. You weed out those, you get a really accurate poll. Now, I give you that entire long-winded explanation to get to the ABC News Washington Post poll. It is of registered voters. And it has Joe Biden at 49 and Donald Trump at 47. Which means if you were to poll likely voters, we're at a tied race or a slight advantage to Donald Trump. The Democrats are not happy with that. The Democrats really don't like that because ABC News Washington Post is a credible poll. ABC News Washington Post was the first poll to show that the president's approval for the COVID-19 situation is at 56%. They really don't like that information. And so they're thinking they may want to go somewhere else, but it may be too late to go somewhere else. And there are some speculation now that one of the reasons they're dragging out these Democratic primaries is because they're pondering who else to go with. I know the guy they're thinking of going with. Uh, one of the things we've heard from healthcare professionals, uh, there have been thefts of uh, medical equipment uh, and masks from hospitals, believe it or not. Uh, Not just people taking a couple or three, I mean, just actual uh, thefts of those products. Uh, I've asked the state police to do an investigation, uh, look at marketplaces that are selling masks, uh, et cetera, medical equipment, protective We're playing into this, exploiting the anxiety. That's Governor Andrew Cuomo of New York. The man the media has foisted to look more leaderly than Donald Trump. The man the media would like to go with Donald Trump. The the man who the media thinks could best Donald Trump. And if you notice on CNN and MSNBC, by the way, they're given Andrew Cuomo's daily press conferences, wall-to-wall coverage. At the same time, they're saying we should not cover Donald Trump. They're covering Andrew Cuomo's press conferences. They would love to have Andrew Cuomo go against Donald Trump. And they see the polling that Joe Biden is basically tied with Donald Trump among likely voters, and they're beginning to panic. The president is clearly helped by this. And they don't like the fact that the president is helped by this. Here's the president on all this approval rating and polling stuff. Mr. President, your approval ratings have been the highest they've ever been, as well as the ratings on your handling of the virus. Yet there are some networks that are saying they're debating whether or not to carry these briefings live. Do you think there's a link between the two? Well, I don't know. I know that, uh, uh, well, that's a nice question. Thank you very much. Uh, Yeah, I, I don't want high approval ratings for this. I wish we could have our old life back. We had the greatest economy that we've ever had, and we didn't have death. We didn't have this. We didn't have this horrible uh, scourge, this plague, you call it whatever you want, the virus. 
but um, we're working very hard. That's all I know. And, you know, I see things, I see numbers. Uh, they don't matter to me. What matters to me is that we have a victory over this thing as soon as possible. When you hear that 2.2 million people could have died if we didn't go through all of this, and, and now uh, the number will be, you know, a much lower number. Hopefully, it's going to be the numbers that we're talking about. Um, but uh, so I appreciate it very much. But, you know, what I want is I want our life back again. I want our country back. I want the world back. I want the world to get rid of this. This again, 151 countries. Uh, and we're going to do it. We're going to have a great victory. We're going to have a great victory. That was a very leaderly answer. And if the president keeps answers up like that, he's going to continue to be helped in the polling. And the media is constantly now having to play gotcha and constantly trying to 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 beat the drum on on these uh, on the president versus Biden. Now, it, Joe, it, it, Chuck Todd is under a lot of fire from the right for having Joe Biden on and asking him this question. I want to play this exchange for you because Joe Biden himself gave a very diplomatic answer. You got to you gotta give an attaboy to Joe Biden for at least refusing to go where Chuck Todd opened him up to be able to go to. For you, when it comes to critiquing President Trump right now? I think the line for me is, again, to tell the truth. For example, I didn't believe it to be uh, um, criticism, just a, a, a straightforward response. I argued several weeks ago we should be using the Defense, Production, the Defense Production Act. It was there. I've been arguing for it for some time. If I see something that's not happening, I think it's my obligation to step up and say this is what we should be doing. Rather than, look, the coronavirus is not the president's fault, but the slow response, the failure to to get going right away, the inability to do the things that needed to be done quickly, they are things that are should they can't continue. We have, we're going to go through another phase of this, and we have to be ahead of the curve, not behind the curve like we were last time. You know, your campaign put out your, in a critique of, of President Trump and says if he doesn't do these things, you know, he could, he could cost lives. Do you think there's already, do you think there is blood on the president's hands considering the slow response? Or is that too, too harsh of a criticism? I think that's a little too harsh. I think what's happening is the failure to, as I watched a, a prelim to your show, where someone said that uh, made made the phrase use the phrase that uh, the president just thinks out loud. He should stop thinking out loud and start thinking deeply. He should start listening to the scientists before he speaks. He should listen to the health experts. He should listen to his economists. He should, for example, the United States Congress passed a significant piece of legislation to help deal with the incredible financial crunch that's going to affect working families and all families, the whole economy. So we should be right now thinking about how do we get those small business loans out the door? Because right now you're not banks. That's not the strong point of banks, focusing on getting small business loans out. That's for most of the employees. He should be focusing on making sure we're in a situation where we're able to see to it that unemployment benefits can get to people. What's the IRS doing to get those $1,200 checks to people, et cetera? That's where the focus should be, and it should be laser focus. Listen, whether you like him or not, it's, it's a reasonable answer here, and he didn't take the bait from Chuck Todd. And and by the way, I'm not going to blow up Chuck. Chuck yes, Chuck is uh, – I, I know Chuck. I like Chuck. Um, I, I do not cast him as the guy who suggested there's blood on the president's hand. There have actually been Democrats out there. There have been partisan Democrats saying the president has blood on his hands, and he threw that out to, to get Biden's take on it, and Biden says no. 
In other words, Biden is being more reasonable than Nancy Pelosi, who said the president has blood on his hands. That's where that comes from, Pelosi doing that. And Biden is rebuking Nancy Pelosi in the answer. And by the way, that makes the Democrats mad. They want Joe Biden to be out there beating up the president on a daily basis, being an attack dog against the president. But that's not how Joe Biden is. Whether you like Biden or not, Biden in the past has uh, taken positions of standing with the administration in times of crisis, whether it was Ronald Reagan or George H.W. Bush or Bill Clinton or George W. Bush or Barack Obama. Now, he's always been in times of crisis, uh, let the president lead. And, and that's where he is right now with this. He would certainly do things different and he's willing to criticize the president, but he's not willing to go uh, to the extent that other Democrats are. And it's driving them crazy, making them think, hey, maybe we need this Andrew Cuomo guy to step in. It is Eric Erickson here. The Eric Erickson Show, the phone number 877-97-ERIC, 877-973-7425. I have put off until now the the audit uh, of counties. I tried to do this at the beginning of the show, and I will do it again next hour as well. Uh, Right now, 2,683 cases, 678 hospitalizations, 83 deaths. The numbers... 425 Fulton, 273 DeKalb, 247 Darty, 228 Cobb, 145 Gwinnett, 119 Bartow, 70 in Carroll, 60 in Cherokee, 59 Clayton, 56 Henry, 43 in Lee, 38 in Douglas, 35 in Clark, 33 in Hall, 28 in Floyd, 28 in Forsyth, 27 Fayette, 23 Coweta, 23 in Paulding, 20 in Lowndes, 18 in Newton, 18 in Rockdale, 16 in Chatham, 16 in Early, 15 in Houston, Mitchell, and Sumter, 14 in Bibb and Gordon, 13 in Tift, 12 in Columbia, Lawrence, Richmond, and Spalding, 11 in Oconee, 10 in Coffee, Polk, Terrell, Troop, and Worth, 9 in Muskogee, 8 in Glen and Whitfield, 7 in Bryan and Thomas, 6 in Barrow, Colquitt, Crisp, and Peach, Five in Butts, Merriweather, Pickens, Seminole, Upston, and Ware. Four in Burke, Dawson, Decatur, Effingham, Lumpkin, Miller, and Walton. Three in Calhoun, Catoosa, Fanning, Harris, Irwin, Liberty, Lincoln, Madison, Monroe, Murray, Pulaski, Randolph, and Stevens. Two in Baldwin, Ben Hill, Camden, Franklin, Harrelson, Jackson, Jasper, Jones, Lamar, Pierce, Pike, Tattnall, Tombs, Turner, Twiggs, and Washington. And one in Bacon, Baker, Brooks, Bullock, Candler, Charlton, Ch- Chattahoochee, Chattooga, Clinch, Dodge, Green, Hart, Hurd, Jenkins, Long, Macon, McDuffie, Morgan, Taylor, Wheeler, White, and Wilkes, and then 226 in unknown counties. There have been 10,669 commercial lab tests, 1,895 tests uh, by the Georgia Department of Public Health. 56% of the cases, 57% of the cases, or 59 are younger, uh, and an even split between genders. Uh, it is uh, the the average age of people who are dying are in their 60s, but take note, there's been a 31-year-old in DeKalb County who died, a 47-year-old in Clayton County who died, uh, but the averages are in, the, in their mid to late 60s. Uh, with a couple of anomalies, um, like, for example, a man in Fulton County at 33. Uh, Now, those anomalies, those people tend to have underlying health conditions, and that's what's impacted. As I have to mute the microphone to sneeze, 
that is what is impacting their underlying conditions. Uh, and there are a few people we don't know their age. Uh, there's been a, a many deaths in Doherty County and Lee County. And overwhelmingly, those are people who went to a funeral or are tied to people who went to a funeral where a preacher preached who was infected. And, and that's something people do need to understand about the uh, highly contagious nature of COVID-19. The reason there's a mass outbreak in South Georgia where there are now lockdowns in place is because a preacher preached a funeral and the preacher was infected and he did not know he was infected. And he wound up interacting with many of the congregants who were at the funeral uh, and infected uh, a large number of them. There are now uh, hundreds of cases in Darty County, uh, 247 and 17 deaths. And then neighboring Lee County has 43 cases and six deaths. And, and almost every single one of them either attended the funeral or came into contact with people who attended the funeral. And that's how quickly it spread. The Fulton cases, 425, uh, is suggesting that perhaps, and the governor has said this, maybe the virus was here longer. And there is data to suggest it, and there's also a lot of data to suggest the Chinese have been lying all along, which I've been saying, and which most people have been saying. Uh, and I want to discuss that when we come back, but there is some controversy here in Georgia over some of the governor's staff being critical of a particular doctor at Emory and some local officials who are getting mixed messages. The media is not helping in this. And I really do think that we need to spend a little bit of time on this. And let me set the stage for you on what's actually going on. Also, if you're watching on Facebook Live right now, I'm about to shut down the stream and reboot it. It's having all sorts of problems this morning and need to find a more stable line for those of you who are watching online. But most of you, you should be listening to your local radio station anyway. We'll be back. Hello and welcome. It is Eric Erickson here, the Eric Erickson Show, as a matter of fact, and I'm happy to hear from you. The phone number is 877-97-ERIC, 877-973-7425. If you want to be a part of the program, you can get me on social media as well at EW Erickson Twitter. You should be following me on Instagram. Uh, you'll like me most on Instagram where I'm not political at all, uh, and that is EW Erickson. Remember, Remember, it's E-R-I-C-K, so uh, you call in 877-97-E-R-I-C-K or 877-973-7425 and follow me on social media, E-W Erickson, it's E-R-I-C-K-S-O-N. Now, I did this at the end of the last hour, but I got some uh, stations that couldn't pick us up in the first hour uh, that just have, and I want to run through these numbers one more time. Uh, we've still, we've got now... Not a lot of counties left uh, saying they have no cases of COVID-19. In fact, there are some people who are beginning to, to cast doubt on some of those counties. I'm not. Uh, there are some who are. This number, it, it will update again at noon today. Uh, it is expected to go up. I want to spend some time now talking about the Georgia information. Um, and, but right now, 2,683 cases in the state of Georgia. Um, this information was updated last night at, uh, 6.30 PM. It will update again, uh, at noon today. And here they are again by County, 425 Fulton, 273 DeKalb, 247 Darty, 228 Cobb, 145 Gwinnett, 119 Bartow, 70 Carroll, 60 Cherokee, 59 Clayton, 56 Henry, 43 Lee, 38 Douglas, 35 Clark, 33 Hall, 28 Floyd, 28 Forsyth, 27 Fayette, 23 Coweta, 23 Paulding, 20 Lowndes, 
18 Newton, 18 Rockdale, 16 Chatham, 16 Early, 15 Houston, 15 Mitchell, 15 Sumter, 14 Bibb, 14 Gordon, 13 Tift, 12 in Columbia, Lawrence, Richmond, and Spalding, 11 in Oconee, 10 in Coffee, Polk, Terrell, Troop, and Worth, 9 in Muskogee, 8 in Glen and Whitfield, 7 in Bryan and Thomas, 6 in Bar- Barrow, Colquitt, Crisp, Peach, 5 in Butts, Merriweather, Pickens, Seminole, Upson, and Ware, 4 in Burke, Dawson, Decatur, Effingham, Lumpkin, Miller, and Walton, 3 in Calhoun, Catoosa, Fanning, Harris, Irwin, Liberty, Lincoln, Madison, Monroe, Murray, Pulaski, Randolph, and Stevens, Two in Baldwin, Ben Hill, Camden, Franklin, Harrelson, Jackson, Jasper, Jones, Lamar, Pierce, Pike, Tattnall, Tombs, Turner, Twiggs, and Washington. And one in Bacon, Baker, Brooks, Bullock, Candler, Charlton, Chattahoochee, Chattuka, Clinch, Dodge, Green, Hart, Hurd, Jenkins, Long, Macon, McDuffie, Morgan, Taylor, Wheeler, White, and Wilkes. And we got 226 in unknown counties of residence. That is the current audit for the state of Georgia. There are still some counties out that have not had it. And this is leading to some controversy out there. I do not know Dr. Del Rio. Dr. Del Rio is at Emory University. And Dr. Del Rio is out there saying we all need to be on a lockdown. It needs to be a complete lockdown. The governor's not doing his job and we're all going to die. And this has led uh, to some grumblings by the governor's office. And I have to tell you, I think Dr. Del Rio is doing everyone a disservice. He has become the guy the media goes to to report that Brian Kemp is doing it all wrong and that it were, it's going to be a disaster in Georgia and we're all going to die. Now, he's not actually saying that, but by and large, he is um, suggesting that uh, things are going to go very badly here in Georgia because the governor is not willing to shut down the state. If you text the word data to 33777 you're going to get a you're going to get back a link to my newsletter that I'm doing at a site called Substack and it has relevant links virus tracking so you can get a, a, a sense of the spread in Georgia the spread nationally the spread globally projections state by state projections uh, the stimulus plan, you can get lots of links on the stimulus plan, how, how it will affect you. The Chamber of Commerce is a great primer. If you're a small business or an independent contractor or self-employed, if your business is less than 500 people, you need to text data to 33777. And there are two links, one from Senator Rubio's office and one from the Chamber of Commerce explaining uh, how to apply and a link to the Small Business Administration disaster loan page so that you can apply. You can also, starting later this week, go through your bank. Uh, you need to text data to 33777, though, to get that. There's also a handy link to how each state is dealing with the lockdown, including county by county here in Georgia. The New York Times is covering that. And just so you know, let me go do this for you. Uh, in Georgia, it is a hodgepodge. Atlanta has shelter in place. Blakely County has shelter in place. Carrollton has shelter in place. Savannah has shelter in place. Clark County has shelter in place. And Doherty County has shelter in place. Um, areas around the state, they're changing. And this is um, the New York Times will keep this up to date. There are new ones in Georgia. For example, Bibb County, where I am, does not have shelter in place, but has uh, basically ordered closed all non-essential services. By the way, I was at Lowe's on Saturday. If you're familiar with Macon up on Zebulon Road, there's a Lowe's. I went there. The place was packed. It was impossible to keep six feet from everyone else. 
Meanwhile, I went where did, I went to a uh, a FedEx. I had to ship a package on Sunday. I shipped it. And at FedEx, they were limiting only 10 people could be in the store at a time. And, and they were kicking people out of the store and making people stay six feet apart. Uh, real, just complete difference in how individual locations were doing things. But now I want to get back to, to all of this with, with uh, Dr. Del Rio. So there is a website. And if you text data to 33777, you'll be able to get to it. And it has projections of uh, when we're going to see the peak of the virus in the nation. And you can do it by the United States as a whole, or you can do it by state. And so let me go to Georgia so you get a sense of it. In Georgia, it says that we're 22 days uh, until the peak. April 22nd will be the peak. And what they predict is that there will need to be 8,916 hospital beds. Georgia only has 8,322 beds, so there will be a bed shortage of 594 beds. They predict that we will need 1,344 ICU beds. There are only 589 ICU beds available, so we will be short 755. Now, this is modeling, and I don't want to. I don't want to knock the modeling. I don't want to knock the the data. But the model is not necessarily reality. Now, what they're doing is they're essentially saying, well, the governor is not forcing everyone to shelter in place, and as a result, this is what's going to happen. Well, the governor is not doing it, but most people are anyway. And so the projection versus reality are not the same thing. Well, you've got Dr. Del Rio from Emory University who is not on the governor's task force. The governor is on a regular basis. Hush, Siri. The governor is on a regular basis in contact with the disaster preparedness team at the University of Georgia. He has Dr. Toomey in the Georgia Department of Public Health. He's got a. He's in regular contact with the, the White House team. And he's in contact with all these other economic and medical advisors around the state. And the governor's team disagrees with Dr. Del Rio. But Dr. Del Rio at, at Emory is preparing these nightmare scenarios of, of loss of life and, and collapse in the state and what we're going to do. And the Georgia, um, the, the Georgia Municipal Association has been trotting him out to have briefings for local municipalities. He's freaked out a bunch of local municipalities. And as a result, there are municipalities around the state that have ramped up efforts to shut everything down. Some of that is good. Some of that has gone overboard. And the governor's team is expressing a little bit of frustration that they have all of these experts, all of these experts who are telling them what to do. The governor, by the way, you know, Brian Kipp does not wake up in the morning and say, by God, I'm the expert here. And this is what we're going to do today. Cause I know everything. The governor doesn't do that. No governor. Does. The president doesn't do that. No, nobody does that. And there seems to be this perception by and large. A lot of it is the Atlanta journal constitution. You should understand uh, is doing this. Uh, and, and they're not going and talking. They're not having regular conversations with Dr. Tooby. They're not talking to the disaster, da, disaster preparedness people. Why are they not talking to all those people? They're relying on this one guy at Emory who is, is convinced that disaster is upon us. 
And the governor's not listening to that guy. And that's what makes it aggravating. Why aren't they talking to the people the governor's listening to? Because it's not like the governor's waking up saying, hey, you know what? All of these people are telling me to shut down the state, and I think they're wrong because I'm an expert. No, the governor's actually listening to the medical and economic experts together, and he's doing the leaderly thing of balancing the opinions of what can we do. And he's relying right now specifically on the public health people who are advising him. And if the public health officials came out today and said, we need to shelter in place the entire state, I do believe the governor would do that. And they're not telling him that. But because this is the the, the media talking point of the California is doing it and New York is doing it, why isn't Georgia doing it? And they're trying to drive up some controversy. They're not actually reporting why isn't the governor doing this. Now, now they'll say, well, it's 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 economic and the governor doesn't want to shut down parts of the state and, and far-reaching consequences for rural parts of the state and the disaster that might befall them. Uh, they, they'll do that, but they won't actually say, hey, you know, the governor's not just doing this willy-nilly. He actually is talking to experts. He is talking to healthcare experts. And the healthcare experts are telling the governor he does not need to lock down the entire state. They're telling him based on on current projections in the state, they do believe they'll be able to accommodate all the people. They do believe they'll have enough ICU hospital space that they're actually looking at projections that tell them they'll be able to do it. Now, there are these other projections out there that others are participating in and painting the, the more nightmare scenario that, for example, on April 18, 19, 20, 21, 22, 23, 24, 25, 26, 27, and 28. So from the, the 18th to the 28th, Georgia will exceed the available hospital space. And that we will, for a longer time, from the 4th to May 1st, exceed the number of ICU beds needed. That, that Those are the projections. But we have reality, and the projections and reality at some point need to be combined. And if you talk to the governor's office and the governor's healthcare experts, what the governor's office and the governor's healthcare experts say is, we have the real-world data now that should be used to adjust the models. And the models and the real world are not lining up, and so we need to adjust the models to reality. This is very much like the global warming crowd that for years insisted New York City would be underwater by 2018. We're now in 2020, and it's not and they haven't adjusted any of their models. They just keep pushing off the date. That's essentially what some of the modelers are doing. They, they, they have invested by faith in the model such that reality no longer weighs into the model. The model has become their reality as opposed to reality dictating adjustments to the model, and that's a problem. And so when the media goes out, the media wants to consider all sides, and so the media is not just going to the experts that the governor's relying on saying, hey, why is the governor doing this? Well, he's not doing it because some parts of the state are unimpacted by the virus or those people have mild cases and they can just shelter in place themselves and we don't need to impact the entire county. No, no. They're going to one guy at Emory who is the guy who's screaming that we're all going to die and they're giving that guy expert status and they're ignoring the disaster team that the governor's consulting with at the University of Georgia. They're ignoring the Department of Public Health experts. They're ignoring Dr. Toomey. They're ignoring all of these people. They're ignoring the fact that the governor talks regularly to the White House team and they get guidance from there. They're ignoring all that. It's very much like Dr. Burks, who is the president's advisor, who came out the other day and praised the president's willingness to entertain diverse thoughts and accept the scientific information and be guided by it. And the media has been savaging her. Believe all women except for a woman who says something nice about the president. Believe all the experts except for the expert who says something nice about the president. That's where we are with the media. And it has infected local journalism in Georgia as well. 
Y'all, do you really believe that if the public health experts went to the governor today and said, Governor, if we don't shut the whole state down, way more people are going to die. And not only that, we're going to overtax beds and people who need health care beyond the virus aren't going to get it. Do you really believe that our governor is such a cold hearted SOB that if he heard public health experts say that he wouldn't respond? Do you really believe that? I mean, if you do, there's something broken in you, not in the governor. And yet that is the position by some people in the media who are drumming up fear around the state that the governor is in over his head and he's not listening to experts. Actually, no, the governor's listening to all of the experts except for the one guy screaming that the sky is falling. But the media is so convinced the sky is falling and that the projections are right, not reality is right, that they're willing to give that man inordinate amounts of latitude to say the sky is falling and scare everyone and say the governor's not doing what this one guy wants. If the governor was doing what this one guy wanted and all of the healthcare experts and disaster preparedness experts of the state were saying otherwise, what do you think the media would do? Because actually what the governor's doing is he's listening to all the healthcare experts and the disaster preparedness experts instead of this one guy. And the media is outraged by that. The, the media continues time and time again to construct these situations where you can't win against them. You're damned if you do and you're damned if you don't. And what the governor's trying to do is actually steer the state without ruining parts of the state that are unimpacted by the virus. I really have to get back to the recipes. I've just been so bogged down with getting everybody the the, the COVID-19 information. I will tell you, uh, this weekend I started a sourdough starter. And I'll tell you how it turns out. If it turns out well, I'm using the King Arthur recipe. I'll send you, I'll send you links. I now I got to figure out how to make sourdough bread. <laughs> we'll get there eventually. We will get there eventually. Um, so speaking of people taking this seriously and not, you know, there, there's this media panic about Governor Kemp in Georgia and what he's doing or not doing, what he should do or shouldn't do. Meanwhile, back at the ranch. Um, a picture went viral this weekend of the Beltline, the Atlanta Beltline, and it, um, the, the, the Atlanta Beltline had a massive crowd, a huge crowd. Uh, so, you know, the mayor Keisha Lance bottoms in Atlanta has not closed down the Beltline. Now I, I should say for those of you who, who never venture, uh, to Atlanta, the Beltline is a, uh, railroad track that wound through the city that was shut down and they have converted it into a very nice walking trail that winds through the city. And it's a beautiful, beautiful trail. It's a wonderful, wonderful place to walk. I really enjoy it. But, um, what I do is, is I, when I get to Atlanta sometimes, you know, so when I'm in my office in Atlanta, WSB, uh, which is in between Buckhead and Midtown, right, right there at 17th street, the Atlanta botanical gardens are very near there. And I'll walk sometimes just to get exercise and get out of the office. I'll walk from my office to the botanical gardens. And then Piedmont park is there, which has the belt line through it. And the belt line, as it walks through the Atlanta area, it winds through the Atlanta area. You can go anywhere. It's wonderful. It really is. Well, the mayor of Atlanta, has sh- ordered shelter in place except on the Beltline. You can get out on the Beltline. And, and the Reddit threads have gone viral of people, I mean, hundreds and thousands of people, not hundreds of thousands, but hundreds and thousands of people 
all packed into the beltway. And I, 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 I belt line, I saw some porn dexter type saying, well, you know, when you're zooming in, it compresses the distances between people. That's why, by the way, if you use a telephoto lens in photography and you want to get someone standing in front of a full moon, it looks like the moon is right there with the person. It's because the, the, a telephoto lens at zoom compresses the picture, but that's BS with this. I follow a guy on Instagram. We follow each other. He's a listener of mine in Atlanta who drove past Piedmont Park and sent me the video of it. I mean, just people crammed all over the park. Now, I can't blame them because it was beautiful, but these are the people who want the governor to shelter in place the entire state. They're already sheltered in place. And what do you have? You you got insanity on the Beltline. You got insanity in Piedmont Park. Why should we take these people seriously about sheltering in place when they clearly don't want to do it themselves? I have no idea. You know, believe it or not, there are vast, diverse regions of the state of Georgia, much like the nation, one size fits all. You know, um, Andrew Cuomo was upset. The president decided maybe we do need to do a, uh, a travel ban on New York. We need to quarantine New York City, New Jersey, and Connecticut. Frankly, we should be quarantining New Jersey for the rest of the nation at all times. But particularly right now, the president suggested that. And the media that for a month has ordered asked the president to shut down the whole nation is now enraged the president wanted to shut down New York. Why? Because the media lives there. That's the issue. The media lives there. So now they're upset. And Andrew Cuomo, come, this would be a declaration of war by the nation. I've got the audio. I'll play you the audio when we come back. I just don't have enough time for the soundbite right now. But the media that for a month wanted the president to do this, now the president's thought about it. They're like, oh, my gosh, we can't actually do that. We want to leave. You've got the governor of Rhode Island conducting manhunts of the state. I'm not making I thought it was an Onion article, but it's actually real. The governor of Rhode Island has ordered local police to go house to house in search of New Yorkers. <laughs> Can you imagine that? Do you have any New Yorkers in your house? Uh, No, I got heroin and cocaine. Uh, We're not here for that. (laughs) Really? Wow. Shelter in place and don't have any New Yorkers. Now, this should be a nationwide policy 24-7-365, not just right now. Uh, But nonetheless, uh, they're all upset about it right now. The whole thing is really silly. These people wanted the president to shelter in place the whole nation until he suggested New York City. And that's where they all live. And they thought, oh, we could get out of it, but they couldn't. And now they're upset about it. Oh, my goodness gracious. All right. When we come back, uh, Easter is canceled. Well, not really, but the shutdown of the nation is going to continue well past Easter. I got the details. Well, so much for Easter. Uh, I mean, we will still have Easter, and I will still have a Good Friday show uh, for Good Friday here in and on my Atlanta show. I'll, I'll be doing it, but the president wanted to reopen the country by Easter. Instead, he's decided to extend the social distancing guidelines through the end of the month. And the reason he's doing it is because we haven't gotten the virus contained in parts of the country yet that need it contained. New York City is still a mess. And I want to put New York City in perspective because so much of the media faulting of the president uh, has a lot to do with New York City. First, I, I want to I put the projections uh, in focus for you because... Uh, there, there's a lot of doubt. There are, there's a whole cottage industry now among conservatives to cast doubt on, uh, the modeling and the projections. And I don't think we should 
because the projections are what kind of help us figure out where to navigate. And then you add layer reality on top of the projection and you make adjustments. And that's what the administration is doing. Even the president acknowledges that 2.2 million people could have died had they done nothing. And now, of course, the media, as I mentioned the first hour, the media is upset with the president for saying this. The media is the one that's been saying uh, that all these people could, could die. Uh, and the president's just pointing out the media's own numbers are based on the models, but we changed behavior, so we're not going to get that. And now the media is upset with the president saying it. But I, I want to put the modeling in perspective for you because, there are again, there's a cottage industry now on the right saying the models were all wrong, and they weren't. Uh, they are being adjusted as our behaviors changed, and the models and reality tend to align. But there's one area where the models have missed things significantly, and I want to play for you this from Andrew Cuomo over the weekend. We use projection models. Uh, we have Cornell Weill, which is a great medical institution that does projection models. We use McKinsey that does projection models. Department of Health does projection models. Uh, the projection models are important because they are projecting the possible trajectory and projecting the possible need, right? So we're planning for a need. The projection models do that. The projection models are, are just that. They are models of projections. They're not uh, necessarily definitive, but it's the only device that we have to plan, right? Follow the data, follow the data, follow the data. The uh, actual hospitalizations have moved at a higher rate than the projected models, than all the projected models. Uh, so that was obviously concerning because that higher infection rate means faster, higher capacity on the hospitals, and that's uh, the critical point for us is the number of people going to hospitals. You got that? The projections undercounted the people who were going to the hospital. The initial projections on COVID-19 were based on the Chinese data that 10% of people who were infected would need hospitalization. The reality is that 20% do. Now, I want to put all this in further perspective with New York City. I, I, I want to begin. I, I put this together myself. I occasionally will put together news clips and make montages. And, and this is you're going to hear the evolution of the situation in New York City beginning in early February with Bill de Blasio and his health uh, commissioner talking about what was happening. Uh, and you'll get a sense of when reality hits. Uh, we have a lot of information now. The information is actually showing us things that should give us more reason to stay calm and go about our lives. Because of the fact that this New Yorker took early action and we know that there's currently no indication that it's easy to transmit by casual contact, there's no need to do any special anything in the community. We want New Yorkers to go about their daily lives, ride the subway, take the bus, Go see your neighbors. This should not stop you from going about your life, should not stop you from going to Chinatown and going out to eat. I'm going to do that today myself. The important thing for New Yorkers to know is that in the city currently, their risk is low and our city preparedness is high. And so we know that this virus can be transmitted from one individual to another, but that it's typically people who live together, that there's no risk at this point in time. We're always learning more about having it be transmitted in casual contact. Mm -hmm. Right. So we're telling New Yorkers, go about your lives, take the subway, go out, enjoy life. 
but practice everyday precautions. Willie, 8.6 million people here. We have 25 cases as of this morning, uh, and we care deeply about each of those individuals, but against the backdrop of 8.6 million people, and for the vast majority of New Yorkers, life is going on pretty normally right now, and we want to encourage that. Look, we've, we've got to look out for people here, especially those who are over 50 years old and have pre-existing conditions like lung disease, heart disease, cancer, diabetes. These are the folks we really, really need to be careful for. But if you're under 50 and you're healthy, which is most New Yorkers, uh, there's very little threat here. This disease, even if you were to get it, basically acts like a common cold or flu. The projection models are, are just that. They are models of projections. They're not uh, necessarily definitive, but it's the only device that we have to plan, right? Follow the data, follow the data, follow the data. The uh, actual hospitalizations have moved at a higher rate than the projected models, than all the projected models. And the reality is that what we're seeing right now in our emergency rooms is dire. Last week when I went to work, we talked about the one or two patients amongst the dozens of others that might have been a COVID, a coronavirus patient. This week in my shift yesterday, nearly every single patient that I took care of was coronavirus and many of them extremely severe. Many were put on breathing tubes. Many decompensated quite quickly. Um, there is a very different air this week than there was last week. And quite honestly, you know, think about the fact that our first New York City case was on March 1st. That's just over three weeks ago. The mayor of New York and his health commissioner, from the beginning of February until St. Patrick's Day, we're telling people to go out, have fun, ride the subway, be together, enjoy life. As the coronavirus started spreading in the city and it continued to spread, it is continuing to spread. Hospitalizations in New York exceed the projections. And if you listen to the average reporter covering this, they're blaming the president of the United States. They're not actually blaming uh, New York City, which is just bizarre uh, and, and shows you the level of hostility towards the president in the media. Now, uh, what are the projections? I, I, I keep talking about the projections. I want to play this from Dr. Fauci to put everything in context. You know, Jake, the honest, to be honest with you, we don't really have any firm idea. There are things called models. And when someone creates a model, they put in various assumptions and the model is only as good and as accurate as your assumptions. And whenever the modelers come in, they give a worst case scenario and a best case scenario. Generally, the reality is somewhere in the middle. I've never seen a model of the diseases that I've dealt with, which the worst case scenario actually came out. They always overshoot. So when you use numbers like a million, a million and a half, two million, that almost certainly is off the chart. Now, it's not impossible, but very, very unlikely. So it's difficult to present. I mean, looking at what we're seeing now, you know, I would say between 100 and 200,000 cases, but I don't want to be held to that because it's, it's, it's excuse me, deaths. I mean, we're, we're going to have millions of cases, but I, I just don't think that we really need to make a projection when it's such a moving target. You don't need to make a projection when it's a moving target. Uh, we're going to have 100 
to 200,000 deaths, but he doesn't want to be held to that. Um, millions of people infected. It, it, listen, it, those are realistic numbers, not intending to be scare scenarios. If you text data to 33777 and the link I send you back, you can find the Johns Hopkins dashboard. And here is uh, the latest data in the United States, uh, 143,532 infections, 2,572 deaths. Now, we went up 1,000 deaths overnight from uh, Saturday to Sunday. The bulk of these now coming from New York State uh, as people are overwhelmed. But there, there are a number of deaths in Georgia, and you do need to keep in mind as well that you are looking at, in Georgia, you're looking at a mortality rate uh, right now of 3% which is the the global average. They do think it'll go down to about 1%, but in Georgia, we're, we're matching the global average. The global, global average is 3%. But this idea that somehow the president is to blame for it, I think is nonsense. Now, it, it, I, I, wanna, I wanna move on for a little bit if, if we can, because I'm, I'm frankly, I'm trying to find other stuff to talk about, and we should talk about Tiger Joe. Have y'all seen this? Do you, do you have Netflix? Um, not not the Netflix DVD service, but the Netflix streaming service. I have not watched it yet, and I intend to watch it. I intend to start it this evening. Uh, Tiger Joe is, it, it is, my goodness, it is white trash Americana uh, meets Netflix, and it is, it, it, y'all, I, I can't play you the, the, the preview because it is, uh, it, it, the, the preview itself has so much profanity in it, you can't play it. But this thing, I, all of my friends are talking about this Tiger Joe show uh, about a guy who, or the, the, this, this redneck guy who kept uh, tigers and his competition. And the competition is alleged to have killed people and he's in jail and he made country music albums. The, the whole thing is bizarre. And I'm telling you, uh, don't let your kids watch it. But based on everything I am seeing from from every person across the political spectrum, uh, Tiger Joe is probably something you need to watch. The, the other story that's out there that's actually making headlines today that even the president felt compelled to tweet on is Harry and Meghan. That's right, Megxit. Uh, Prince Harry and Meghan Markle have decided to abandon Vancouver for Los Angeles. And what the press is saying is it has to do with the Canadian tax rate. The, the, the United States is a tax haven compared to Vancouver. So they have fled to the United States and they're looking for help paying their $8 million security bill. And the press suggests they would want American... Now, you should know, in fairness to Harry and Meghan... It is speculation in the press that they would want governmental help paying their their uh, security bill. It, it's not necessarily true that they want it, but uh, the press would have you believe it's true. <laughs> you can't believe things you read in the paper these days. But nonetheless, uh, the president felt compelled this morning to come out and, and say, no way, uh, the American government will not pay for the private security of a of a British prince as much as he loves Queen Elizabeth and uh, the president saying as much as he loves Queen Elizabeth, uh, there's no way the Americans are covering the uh, British royal family security bill, which the whole thing is. So apparently, uh, surely they'll be able to afford to so Listen, if they can afford to fly private, 
I want to fly private, and, and there's no way I can afford to fly private until I get the show into serious syndication. Uh, they are they, they are really committed to to telling you all to you know this is part of the problem out there with with so much in the of the celebrities these days. They want to tell you how to live your life, and they don't want to live it in the same way, uh, which is just ridiculous. Um, so Megan and Harry are all about environmentalism these days and global warming, and yet they want to fly on private jets when uh, it has been thoroughly analyzed by environmental activists and commercial flying is way more efficient and better for the environment than flying private. Even on those those fuel-efficient Gulfstream jets that the uh, celebrities like to fly on, it's still better to fly commercial, but it's better to not fly at all, which interestingly enough, this makes people mad, but there actually is a viral angle here. I might as well throw out. You notice how the virus spread rapidly in New York City and London and Paris and parts of Italy and China. Public transportation. Am I allowed to say that? You know, I mean, honest to goodness, when I go to when I go to Washington, uh, I don't mind riding the metro in Washington D.C. That's 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 the subway in Washington D.C. I don't mind it. I, I'm I'm used to it. So when I was a kid, you 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 nerdy personal anecdote for you people. I grew up in Dubai. And when we lived in Dubai every few months, because our visas had to be renewed, my dad's company would basically tell my parents, pick a country and go all expense paid for a week. So we would go, we went to Malaysia, we went to China, we went to, um, we stopped over in India once, uh, we're all, I mean, we went all through Europe. Uh, and then we would take trips. Uh, my, my sister took a trip to Kenya. I took a trip to Greece and Turkey. And uh, there's a trip to Egypt at one point. And it, we, we traveled all over the place. But I always wanted to travel in the United States, but we lived on the other side of the world. So it was actually more realistic for us to go to Germany than to go to Washington, D.C. And I always wanted to go to Washington, D.C. So to convince my parents that we should go to Washington, D.C., I memorized the map of Washington, where everything was and how the subway worked. So if we went, I could be the tour guide. And we still never went. I was actually graduated from high school before I ever went to Washington, D.C. And went with my sister and brother-in-law up there once for a day trip. And I remember we parked and I I took us all over the place. It was fantastic. I loved Washington, D.C. And I liked the metro in Washington, D.C. But, oh my goodness gracious. Uh, the, the people in subway cars with during the flu season is bad enough. You got this virus spreading, uh, American car culture has actually done us a world of service. And, and, you know, for all this, that, that, uh, claiming that we're worse than every other country, you know, per capita, we're actually better than most countries in the world right now, per capita. You can't believe the Chinese data. When we come back, there's data in China we need to talk about because, there's going to be a there's going to be a reckoning for China and the British are starting to grumble about it. British intelligence suggests that there were more than 100,000 cases in Wuhan, China alone in January. Now, if that was the case, global leaders probably would have reacted differently than they had, knowing there are 100,000 people in just one city in China and probably a million more infected. Uh, nationwide in China. And the Chinese are still clinging to the idea that only 86,000 people had it. But there's a lot of new data coming out of China, a lot of intelligence data. I've heard some on background 
that suggests this is all fake news from China and the real news is far worse. Don't forget, please, uh, text DATA to 33777 uh, and I'll send you back one link. And if you click on that link in a web browser, you will find all sorts of information about the stimulus package, about the spread of the virus, the projections of the virus, uh, the state-by-state -state guides on what's locked down and what's not, and uh, even within states, uh, how things are shaping up. Uh, make sure you do that, please. Uh, we also, we, we had to keep the phone lines closed here uh, earlier, but they're open now. Anybody wants to call in, feel free to call in now. The phone line's just opened, 877-97-ERIC, 877-973-7425. When we come back, I want to talk about this China situation because it is, it's, it's, going to become a situation that Western powers and Eastern democracies are all going to have to take into consideration. And I got some thoughts on that. Now, um, also, let's talk about robots for a minute. Uh, Rick Perry, the former governor of Florida, the former secretary of energy, I was actually uh, out grocery shopping yesterday. By the way, I was able to get everything I needed on my grocery list yesterday, uh, but I had to go to three stores. Uh, so I got every, almost everything at, at my beloved Publix. Uh, but then I had to go to, they were out of sugar and flour. So I went to fresh market and was able to get brown sugar and flour. And then I had to go to Kroger to get popcorn of all things. Uh, Publix completely sold out of popcorn and nobody had toilet paper for that matter. But nonetheless, I didn't need toilet paper because we get it from Amazon and we get a steady supply of it as we need it. Uh, you should do subscribe and save on Amazon for your paper products. Anyway, it's cheaper, but nonetheless, um, so I got everything I needed. And w when I was leaving the Kroger, I decided, you know what, I'll, I'll get Jimmy John's for lunch. Lunch. And my phone rang, uh, no caller ID, which tends to be an important person. And uh, sure enough, it was Governor Perry, Secretary Perry. And he wanted to put a story uh, on my radar screen. And now I want to interview the CEO. Um, I, the So it is a company out of San Antonio, Texas, that makes robots. And the head of the robot is a xenon bulb at such a frequency that it kills bacteria and viruses. And so they can send this robot into rooms and hospitals where there's no, no person and this bulb fires up and the robot runs around the room for a minute and kills everything, all the bacteria and all the viruses come makes a completely sterile environment. And there's an assembly line in Texas that could be used to manufacture these things. Um, and the government's been dragging their feet. And, and Rick Perry's like, can can you help me get some exposure to this company? It's a good Texas company. I know the CEO. And they're doing good work. And I started researching this. And, man, they are being praised by doctors and hospitals uh, to get these little robots in. And, and again, it's just it's a light bulb. It's a specially designed light bulb, the light frequency of which zaps viruses. You know, like in my house, um, we've got a a UV filter in our air conditioner now, uh, which as the air blows through, the UV lights kill viruses and bacteria, mold and stuff. Uh, and it is definitely, we can tell in our house, as a matter of fact, that the air quality in the house has improved with these things. And that's essentially what this robot does with a different light spectrum. And it, the, the government, the FDA, it is always the FDA continues to drag their feet on this stuff. So I'm going to interview the CEO and the CEO of another company uh, that the FDA is allowing to come back in and, and do some testing on this virus. Hello and welcome. It is Eric Erickson here. The Eric Erickson Show all across the state of Georgia and the nation and the world on the internet. The phone number, if you want to be a part of the program, the phone lines are now open. 877-97-ERIC, 877-973-7425. And in all seriousness, 
I'm really tired of talking about the virus, and that is basically the world we live in where that's all we can talk about. There are other things out there, I'm sure, uh, and I'm doing my best to find them, but uh, God help me. Um, if you got stuff you want to talk about, we will be loose on the phone so y'all can call in and, and chat about other stuff. But uh, I want to do kind of the standard things we have been doing here as well to keep everybody informed. Uh, remember, if you text the word DATA to 33777, uh, you can find all the info on the virus. I'm doing something a little differently. I had been sending out individual links to stuff, and I've just decided to compile everything in one location. And so if you text data to 33777, you're going to get a link back to the newsletter that I do on a daily basis into a particular post. And I'm keeping this post updated because now there's information on the stimulus. Marco Rubio has had a, a breakdown from the um, Economic Committee in, in the Senate. Uh, the Chamber of Commerce has a primer for small businesses and individuals. Uh, there's the Johns Hopkins dashboard, the Georgia Department of Health dashboard, all these different things I want you to be able to see. And I'm just giving you the, the sound factual stuff. Uh, there, this is not a political post that you go to. It just gives you the facts and figures. So text data to 33777. But let me give you the audit again. This will update at noon. But right now, 2,683 COVID-19 cases in Georgia, 83 deaths. That's a 3% mortality rate of those who have it that we know of. Other people probably have it uh, and haven't been diagnosed. Uh, but the numbers of testing in the state now, uh, we've got uh, roughly 11,000, no, 12,000 tests done in the state of Georgia. Here's the breakdown. 425 Fulton, 273 DeKalb, 247 Darty, 228 Cobb, 145 Gwinnett, 119 Bartow, 70 in Carroll, 60 in Cherokee, 59 Clayton, 56 Henry, 43 Lee, 38 Douglas, 35 Clark, 33 Hall, 28 Floyd, 28 Forsyth, 27 Fayette, 23 Coweta, 23 Paulding, 20 in Lowndes, 18 Newton, 18 Rockdale, 16 Chatham, 16 Early, 15 Houston, 15 Mitchell, 15 Sumter, 14 Bibb, 14 Gordon, 13 Tift, 12 in Columbia, Lawrence, Richmond, and Spalding, 11 in Oconee, 10 in Coffee, Polk, Terrell, Troop, and Worth, 9 in Muskogee, 8 in Glen and Whitfield, 7 in Bryan and Thomas, 6 in Barrow, Colquitt, Crisp, and Peach, 5 in Butts, Merriweather, Pickens, and Seminole, Upson, and Ware Counties, 4 in Burke, Dawson, Decatur, Effingham, Lumpkin, Miller, and Walton, 3 in Calhoun, Catoosa, Fanning, Harris, Irwin, Liberty, Lincoln, Madison, Monroe, Murray, Pulaski, Randolphs, and Stevens, Two in Baldwin, Ben Hill, Camden, Franklin, Harrelson, Jackson, Jasper, Jones, Lamar, Pierce, Pike, Tattnall, Toombs, Turner, Twiggs, and Washington counties. And then one in Bibb, Baker, Brooks, Bullock, Candler, Charlton, Chattahoochee, Chattooga, Clinch, Dodge, Green, Hart, Hurd, Jenkins, Long, Macon, McDuffie, Morgan, Taylor, Wheeler, White, and Wilkes County. There are 226 in counties we don't know of. Uh, and deaths by county. Um, there are 12 in Fulton and 17 in Doherty. There are others, uh, throughout, but those are the big ones and six in Lee for perspective on those in, in Lee and Doherty County, uh, down in the Albany area, most all the cases down there come from people who came into contact with people who went to a funeral or the people who were at the funeral where an infected pastor who didn't know he was infected, preached the funeral and, and infected a bunch of people. 
Um, by the way, the World Health Organization doesn't want to say that someone infected other people, that that's discriminatory or, or that 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 could cause hate. Uh, this World Health Organization nonsense, it, it, they're continuing to placate China. A reporter over the weekend asked the head of the World Health Organization whether Taiwan should be um, considered for entrance into the World Health Organization, considering they've outperformed everyone in containing the spread of the virus. The World Health Organization guy uh, closed, he was doing a Skype interview, closed the laptop, shut it down, refused to answer the question. The World Health Organization is so beholden to China right now, and it is increasingly clear the World Health Organization and China together collaborated and lied about what's happening in China. Uh, The United Kingdom's intelligence agencies are reporting that the uh, number of infected people in China could be 40 times higher. And Boris Johnson's government is livid. This is from Business Insider. UK Prime Minister Boris Johnson's government is said to be furious over China's handling of the coronavirus, with one British official quoted on Sunday saying Beijing would face a reckoning once the crisis was over. UK government officials are accusing China of spreading disinformation about the severity of the coronavirus outbreaks in its borders. Uh, The Daily Mail says scientists have told uh, Boris Johnson China could have downplayed its number of confirmed cases by a factor of between 15 and 40 times. China reported 81,435 cases on Sunday. Uh, Minister for the Cabinet Office Michael Gove told the BBC he was skeptical of China's numbers. If was the case that the first case of coronavirus in China was established in December of last year, but it was also the case that some of the reporting from China was not clear about the scale, the nature, or the infectiousness of this. The Chinese government has disclosed only 3,304 deaths from coronaviruses, yet funeral homes in Wuhan have disposed of 42,000 corpses, according to Radio Free Asia. Officials also apparently believe China is trying to expand its economic power through offering help to other countries trying to combat the virus now. Not only that, in Spain and Italy and uh, the Czech Republic, they've had to now uh, stop using Chinese testing kits because the Chinese testing kits for coronavirus miss 80%, 80% of cases. The Chinese miss it. Now, here's this Radio Free Asia report. As authorities lifted a two-month coronavirus lockdown in central Chinese city of Wuhan, residents said they are growing increasingly skeptical of the 2,500 deaths. Since the start of the week, seven large funeral homes in Wuhan have been handing out the cremated remains of around 500 people to their families every day. It can't be right because the incinerators have been working around the clock. How can so few people have died? They started distributing ashes and started interment ceremonies on Monday. Seven funeral homes currently serve Wuhan. Social media users have been doing some basic math to figure out their daily capacity. While the news website Caxon.com reported 5,000 urns had been delivered by a supplier, Uh, In one day alone, that's double the official number of deaths. Some social media posts have estimated that all seven funeral homes are handing out 3,500 urns every day. Another popular estimate is based on the cremation capacity of funeral homes, which run a total of 84 furnaces with a capacity over 24 hours of 1,560 urns citywide, assuming that one cremation takes one hour. This calculation results in 46,800 deaths in Wuhan alone. A resident of Wubei province, of which Wuhan is the capital, said most people now believe more than 40,000 people died in the city before and during the lockdown. A source close to the Provincial Civil Affairs Bureau said many people died at home without being diagnosed of the disease. 
the source in Wuhan saw 28,000 cremations in the space of a single month, suggesting that online estimates over a two-and-a-half-month period weren't excessive. In other words, China continues to lie about this stuff. Now, I want to read you. I bookmarked this to come back to it. Um, it there's a J-Cost is a great, uh, great guy. And Jay Cost has a Twitter thread. Well, now I can't find it, but oh, yeah, yeah, I know where I put it. Um, it it's, it's worth spending a little bit of time on what he is raising because we got deeply troubling data out of China. It appears very much that the Chinese are lying, and it appears we know the Chinese are lying in large part because their modeling or, or their data so dramatically and vehemently disagrees with what we're seeing in other countries. Um, China, we know. As a matter of fact, we, we absolutely know that China does not have the healthcare system that we in the United States have. And if China does not have the healthcare system that is up to speed like our system, and yet China only had 81,000 deaths, it doesn't make sense for the United States to see the, or uh, only 81,000 infections. It doesn't make sense to see that, um, it, it, it doesn't make sense to see that the Chinese only had 81,000. Uh, and I'm sorry, I'm looking from the, 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 the JCOS thread because I know I saved it and then he deleted it. Uh, it, it was a good thread. Uh, and nonetheless, so here, here's the, here's the basic primer on what's happening with China. I'm sorry to be so disfocused here. I was looking for this thread because he broke it down well. And now I'm going to have to put it in my own words because he deleted it because certain people were, were using it to attack him and he didn't want that. So, uh, here's the deal with, with China. The Chinese have clearly lied. Can you imagine the world? I mean, let me just, let's go back and put this in perspective here. In January, in the midst of impeachment, the president of the United States suspended all travel with China and was attacked as a racist. The World Health Organization denounced him and the American media picked up the World Health Organization attack and denounced him as well. Now we know that that actually bought us time. Now we know the president actually did a good job. Now we know, in fact, that the president of the United States did what he needed to do to buy us time as a nation. In the same way, uh, the president ordering the CDC to issue travel advisories for New York is good. Here's Dr. Fauci on that. Uh, I want to ask you about the latest development. The CDC now urging, quote, residents of New York, New Jersey, Connecticut to refrain from non-essential domestic travel for 14 days effective immediately. This came after President Trump considered an enforceable quarantine, as he put it, for those states. Um, so why did the administration go with this travel advisory instead? And will this help stop the virus? Well, I think it ultimately will help stop the virus, Jake. We had a very intensive discussions last night at the White House with the president. As you know, the, the original proposal was to consider seriously an enforceable quarantine. After discussions with the president, we made it clear and he agreed that it would be much better to do what's called a strong advisory. And the reason for that is that you don't want to get to the point where you're being enforcing things that would create a, a, a big of difficulty, morale and otherwise, when you could probably accomplish the same goal. One of the issues is that 
the infection rate in New York City and the New York City area is about 56% of all of the new infections in the country are coming from that area. That's terrible yeah. suffering from the people of New York, which I feel myself personally as a New Yorker. So what was trying to be done is to get people, unless there's necessary travel, so all non-essential travel, to just hold off. Because what you don't want is people traveling from that area to other areas of the country and inadvertently and innocently infecting other individuals. We felt the better part of way to do this would be a advisory as opposed to a very strict quarantine. And the president agreed. And that's why he made that determination last night. And I believe he tweeted it out last night. So the president has issued an advisory about uh, traveling to New York. He banned travel to China. The media attacked him then. The media wanted him to do a travel ban in the United States. He refused to do it. And then when he suggested New York, the media attacked him. So now they've done a travel advisory thing. Think how all of this would be different if China had come out at the beginning of January and said, we have 100,000 cases already and it's spreading because in January, China was saying they only had a few thousand cases and it wasn't easily spread. That's what China was saying in January and that there wasn't social spread. It was families. Imagine we know, by the way, we, we do know for certain now that that wasn't true. We do know for certain that China was lying at the time. Imagine if China had been honest at the time, what the world response would have been, what the American response would have been. I mean, if for all of the blame being heaped on the president by the media, they sure are giving China a pass on this because what was happening when, in China was largely directing the president's response at the time. Had the president come out in China in January and said, we need to lock down the country now, what would the response have been? They would have accused him of distracting from impeachment. They would have accused him of, of trying to look leaderly at a time of crisis uh, in impeachment. They wouldn't have believed him. There really was a no-win scenario for the president, and in large part that had to do with China because China was lying to the world. China is now giving test kits to the Czech Republic and Spain and Italy. It turns out the, the test kits are all wrong. But the bottom line here is there's no way, given the rates of infection in other countries, that a nation of a billion people only had 81,000 infections. There's just no way. And the fact that the American media continues to peddle that shows you that the American media is willing to peddle Chinese communist propaganda to get the president and to own the president. But let me give you some other perspective here that I think is worthwhile. The media has been using this per capita term on and off. Uh, the, the Americans, they, they say per capita this, per capita that. You know, for how does this affect every one in 1,000 people or one in 1 million people? And the media wants you to know we've got more cases than any other country on the planet. What about per capita, though? How many cases do we have per capita? Turns out Iceland has the worst. And Italy is in second place. And Spain is in third place, and then Austria, then Belgium, then Germany, then France, then the Netherlands, then Portugal, then Iran, then Denmark, and then the United States. And then the United States. We're, we're way down the list when it comes to per capita cases, not the individual number. You look at the individual number, we're a nation of 330 million people. When you look at Iceland, a much smaller country, uh, that MSNBC says they're doing a far better job than us of containing the virus. Actually, per capita, they're doing way worse than us. But the media doesn't really want to 
tell you that side of the story. They only want to tell you the side that is most damaging to the president right now, which is unfortunate. By the way, uh, there is some good news for the uni- for Georgia here. Sorry, the University of Georgia. It's Georgia good news, actually. Um, so uh, there's a, a threshold of, of 35% spread, uh, a, a daily spread of 35%, and, and that's where we start to get these exponential growths of the virus. And Georgia is now under that 35% threshold, which is great news, which is another reason the governor is being more prudent and shutting things down here in Georgia as opposed to what some of the nightmare scenario people want him to do, which is shut down the whole state. Again, if you weren't here in the last hour, uh, it is worth noting that the the governor is under attack from one doctor at Emory, and the media is amplifying that doctor's attacks on the governor not doing enough. Meanwhile, the governor's listening to the University of Georgia disaster team. He's listening to the Department of Public Health. He's listening to Dr. Toomey and the like. And yet that he's continued to be blown up in large part because of one doctor at Emory who has the ear of the media as the as the challenge point for the governor. It's it's unfortunate. Uh, now, the phone lines are open here at the program. If you want to call in, you're more than welcome to do so at 877-973-7425. I am going to go first to Michael in Kennesaw. Welcome to the program. Well, Hank, Michael, you there? Hello, can you hear me now? I can hear you. Oh, I don't know what happened there, sorry. Um, I had uh, was listening to Rush's show on Friday, and somebody had called up and made an interesting um, observation, I thought. Um, there are companies or small businesses that are now deciding not to take uh, the loans, small business loans, and rather lay off their employees because they don't want to have to deal with the risk of uh, a lawyer coming in and suing them for putting their employees at risk. And I don't know if you've heard anything like that. And if I may, if I have an additional second, I had another comment I wanted to ask you. It is um, the the tri-state area in New York. Is it legal for the president to say, you know what, this is the only part of the, uh, you know, area that's a problem? Can he actually legally quarantine that particular area and not allow them in or out, kind of like what Rhode Island's doing in Florida? Uh, actually, he can't, um, which is why he's never done it, even though the media wanted him to. It, it's it's a, The president doesn't have the power to quarantine states without a declaration of war from Congress, which they haven't given him. Uh, so he couldn't do it even if he wanted to do it, which is now there, there is there there's quibbling law in, in that the, the there's a provision of the federal code that says the president can stop people who are reasonably believed to have infectious disease from going across state lines. But it's got to be a reasonable belief. And just saying everybody can't go isn't considered a reasonable belief. Now, on the other issue, yeah, there are some some employers who are laying people off because they're afraid of getting sued. But what the stimulus package actually does is it gives employers money to pay, tell your employees, stay home, don't come to work, and we're still going to give you a paycheck. And the federal government is going to provide the money to the businesses to give to the employees. And if they don't then lay off people, most of the money they pay is actually going to be converted to a grant as opposed to a loan uh, because they don't want employees. The federal government doesn't want employees going to work right now. They want everybody to stay at home. Uh, and they need employers to incentivize them doing so, which is why they want to pay your salary, essentially. Uh, text DATA to 33777. See the guide to the Chamber of Commerce put out and the Marco Rubio information. And if you're a small business, you may benefit from seeing all that. We'll be back with more of your calls here in a minute. 
I, I'm still just amazed by the governor of Rhode Island sending police and National Guard door to door in search of people from New York hiding in the state of Rhode Island. <laughs> we should do this all the time, not just during a virus. Do you have any New Yorkers in your house? Bring them out. You know the people in Chicago do that in arguments over pizza. Now, I, I want to go back to the media gotcha game here um, because this is just, this is bizarre. Uh, this is Caitlin Collins at CNN. Listen to this. And the president suggested that something nefarious is happening at hospitals in New York when it comes to masks. He told reporters they should look into what's happening to all the masks, asking if they're disappearing out of a back door or something. And he cited one hospital in particular saying it was a hospital that typically orders about 10 to 20,000 masks per year. And now they're ordering 300,000. And Wolf, he seemed astonished that a hospital would, hospital would want that many masks. He asked what they were being used for, what they were doing with them. And of course, Wolf, the president had no evidence that something nefarious has happened there with those masks. But of course, we also know that nurses and doctors have been saying they don't have enough because coronavirus is obviously a respiratory illness they're having to use multiple masks a day, multiple masks an hour even, because they have to change them out. And that has been a big struggle for them as they are having a shortage in this. Some of them say they are reusing masks. They're having to sanitize them. They're using ones that don't properly fit, ones that are expired. We even saw that CDC guidance saying that they should use a bandana in a worst case scenario. So the president was hinting that, though, Wolf, he has no evidence that he presented there at that briefing that something nefarious actually has happened with those masks. You got that. The president's concerned about the masks disappearing in New York hospitals. He has no evidence that something nefarious is happening. None, according to Caitlin Collins at CNN. There's no evidence about these masks going out the back door of hospitals. Now, over to you, Andrew Cuomo. Uh, one of the things we've heard from healthcare professionals, uh, there have been thefts of uh, medical equipment uh, and masks from hospitals, believe it or not. Uh, not just people taking a couple or three, I mean, just actual uh, thefts of those products. Uh, I've asked the state police to do an investigation, uh, look at marketplaces that are selling masks, uh, et cetera, medical equipment, protective wear, playing into this, exploiting the anxiety. Uh, so you actually do have something nefarious happening in New York and they're, they're saying they're attacking the president for pointing at what y'all look, I feel like I could come in here and I, I don't feel like I think, I, I think I could come in here and do this program every day and just highlight media contradictions and how the media is trying to to own the president, if you will, and beat up the president on a regular basis where, you know, I, I myself am critical of the president on occasion. And yet I don't think the president deserves to be beaten up by members of the media right now on this stuff. It, it, it's absurd to me to see what the press is doing to the president, to, to attack the president uh, for what's happening right now. It, it's, it's, he doesn't deserve it. There are plenty of things to say the president should do differently or the president should do now. Uh, remember, for weeks the press said the president needed to look presidential. He had that press conference where they all praised him, and then his polling came out, and he looked good in the polling, and they went back to attacking him and, and said, oh, well, we, we can't run the press briefing now because it may make the president look good. 
And then there's that story. You've got the governor of Michigan who came out and said that suppliers won't give supplies to Michigan because she was not nice to the president. There is no evidence of this, and yet the media ran the story. By the way, she went on the Sunday shows yesterday and and praised the White House's responsiveness for Michigan, but the headline on Friday was that the White House was not giving Michigan supplies. Here's Dr. Fauci. Uh, Uh, Wrong clip. I think the reality, not the rhetoric, but the reality is that the people who need things will get what they need. There's the reality and the rhetoric. I think that, I mean, I know the spirit of the task force and when we talk about when people need things doesn't matter who they are we try to get them what they need the reality versus the rhetoric and and that seems to to be what we're dealing with here is the media hangs up on is hung up on words for the president listen i gotta tell you so i i you know i i do two shows i do this show for statewide and then i do a show in the evening uh, in atlanta And inevitably, in the last two weeks, the president starts his press conference between 5 and 5.30. My show runs 4 to 6. And so I get off an hour early, typically, because the president starts speaking. And I will tell you, listening sometimes to these press conferences, the adjectives and the adverbs, they they drive me crazy. They're, they're, They're beautiful ventilators. Uh, we're we're do, we're doing remarkably good work. It's it, it's we're we're it's incredible. It it's and the adverbs and I'm just like Mr. President, just get to the point. Just get to the point. I don't need all the adjectives and adverbs. And if you want something, I'm critical of the president. That that's it lately. The the adjective and adverb game of the president is off, and they're always the same adverbs and adjectives. And if you want to criticize his rhetoric, that's fine. But what a, what a, where rubber meets the road with the actions. And the actions of this White House are actually very competent. You have all sorts of governors, Democrat and Republican alike, coming out and praising the president's responsiveness, praising the responsiveness of the White House. And the media doesn't want to highlight that. They want to highlight the drama. They want to highlight the words. They want to highlight what's actually happening. Uh, and then there's this sort of stuff. This is Rachel Maddow. Uh, This is Rachel Maddow from March 20th. In terms of uh, the happy talk we've had on this front from the federal government, there is no sign that the Navy hospital ships that the president made such a big deal of, the comfort and the mercy, um, there's no sign that they'll be anywhere on site helping out anywhere in the country for weeks yet. The president said when he announced that those ships would be put into action against the COVID-19 epidemic, he said one of those ships would be operational in New York Harbor by next week. That's nonsense. It will not be there next week. Actually, uh, it is in New York Harbor today. It is in New York Harbor today. Uh, Rachel Maddow uh, not telling the truth there when she said it. It is in New York Harbor now. And yet the media chose to take the position that it wasn't going to be there, that this was all a lie, that the president had overstated things, and he didn't. He was accurate, and they don't want to beat up. And, and, and then there's there's this. Uh, listen, I, I like Joe Scarborough. I don't want to beat up Joe Scarborough here, but Joe Scarborough uh, said that um, it, the president listened to who he needed to, and for good reason. As Dr. Fauci and Dr. Birch uh, leaned in and started talking to these numbers from Imperial College, up to 2.2 million people dead. And now Fauci saying we could have a hundred to two hundred thousand people dead. Well, I'm listen. It is a matter of fact that the modeling 
suggested several million people would die if we did nothing. And the President of the United States decided to take action. And now, instead of several million people dying, we could have 100,000 people dying, which is still too much. It's still too much. But it's better than what was projected. And, and we, sh- we should actually be giving the administration credit here for lowering the numbers. And instead, everybody wants to attack, 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 attack. Meanwhile, uh, you got Bill de Blasio in New York who is telling people to go out and drink and have fun at St. Patrick's Day. Uh, now being called out, finally, some members of the media, not many, but some are actually questioning him on this. Let's talk about the way that you've handled uh, the response in New York City. I want you to take a listen to yourself and your message to New Yorkers, these are three different clips, one's from January, one's from February, and one's from early this month. It's important to go about your lives, uh, continue living as you have. New Yorkers should go about our lives, continue doing what we do. This should not stop you from going about your life, should not stop you from going to Chinatown and going out to eat. We want people still to go on about their lives. We want people uh, to rest assured that a lot is being done to protect them. That last clip was from March 13th, just about two weeks ago. In retrospect, is that message, at least in part, to blame for how rapidly the virus has spread across the city? Jake, we should not be focusing, in my view, on anything looking back on any level of government right now. This is just about how we save lives going forward. We all were working. Everybody was working with the information we had, and trying, of course, to avoid panic. It kudos to Jake Tapper for holding the mayor of New York accountable. He's about the only one. Uh, it, it really is sad to, to see that in a time of crisis, the American media can't grow up. They wanted the president to grow up. The president's grown up, and now the media can't. Uh, and, and if I sound like a broken record, to, in my mind, I do sound like a broken record at this point. But there's just this is the gift that keeps on giving for those of us in talk radio. And, and you know, so I had a conversation. I was interviewed this morning about something I wrote. You know, the, the media continues to savage Fox News. Uh, they're all over Fox News again. In, in fact, they're peddling a fake report that internally at Fox, they're worried they could get sued for peddling misinformation. They are not. Uh, they are not. Uh, back in January and February, every single major media outlet in this country, including CNN and MSNBC, were saying this wasn't as contagious as the flu and, and don't worry about it. Every single one. I mean, they were the ones attacking the president for shutting off the border with with, with China. And now they're like, oh, Fox could be sued. No, they couldn't. Uh, there is an obsession in the media with Fox because Fox kicks their butt in the ratings. In, in the same way, you know, there's this obsession, uh, obsession with talk radio. The media and the left uh, to get combined as one entity have never liked and do not understand talk radio. They do not understand the personal nature of, frankly, hell, there there are a lot of conservatives out there who don't understand it these days who are trying to do it. There are some bad radio out there these days. And it is, it's amazing to me uh, how angry people get about talk radio these days. By the way, there's data out today, interestingly enough, that podcast listing is down 20%. Radio listening has gone back up. Uh, If you're listening to me, you're, you're actually, the odds are you're actually a new radio listener based on the data that's out there right now. Now, why is that? Well, because if I were doing this show as a podcast and I gave you the daily numbers, by the time, the daily numbers in Georgia, I've been going through every, at the top of every hour, I go through the audit of here are the number of COVID-19 cases per county in Georgia. And 
if you were listening to me on demand, by the time you got the information, it would be wrong. You listen live, though, at a time like this, and, and, and you're up to date with information. You can call in. In fact, you can call in right now, 877-973-7425. You can pick up your phone. You can call the radio show host. You can't pick up the phone and call the podcaster that you're listening to a week after the show was recorded. Live radio at times of crisis and in times of urgency matters. In fact, I would tell all of you, I think every single station that I broadcast on, if you tell your smart device to listen to the station and give the call letters, you'll get it. Uh, you know, as a matter of fact, the only one I know it doesn't work for is WSB radio in Atlanta. Uh, with with WSB in Atlanta, which is one of the big talk stations in the nation, uh, someone has set up an internet streaming service, WSEB. And if you tell... Uh, Siri, I know with an Apple device, if you tell Siri to listen to WSB, it, it actually pulls up this uh, internet streaming service instead of instead of the station. But for the rest of them, wherever you are, say, hey, hey, dingus, or, or whatever the activity, Alexa, whatever, uh, listen to and, and give the radio station call letters, and you can stream over your smart device. So if you're, if you're home and you want to listen to up-to-date information, you can do that. With a podcast, you can't do that. And so there's relevance, and I don't just say this to, 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 to tout the local radio station you're listening to, but it definitely is a difference compared to, to a podcast, and podcast numbers are down because people listen to podcasts on their way into work. You're, you're, you're commuting into Atlanta. Let's say you're, you're out at Lake Oconee, and you're commuting in uh, to Atlanta to go to work uh, as opposed to staying in your gorgeous lake house at Reynolds Plantation, and you're listening to a podcast. And that's all well and good, but it's not necessarily timely information. This is all timely information, the station that you're listening to. Speaking of Lake Oconee, have y'all seen the story? It was in the AJC, uh, and I saw it in several local papers around the state as well. Uh, the mass gathering of people out on the lake this weekend, Lake Lanier and Lake Oconee, had massive crowds on the lakes, just like in Atlanta. There were massive crowds of people. Now, a lot of people are—the governor wants people to socially distance, and yet uh, there, there are huge crowds gathering on boats. Now, I'm kind of jealous because— I'm supposed to be on spring break. I'm not even supposed to be here this week, and yet I'm here because of this virus. And I thought, you know, maybe I'll take the kids out to Lake Oconee. We could stay at Reynolds Plantation, but apparently either the Ritz isn't taking taking, uh, reservations or they're shut down, so there's no taking the kids to stay in one of their little cottages on the lake um, because there's just no there there. And so, so there's no escape for me. But apparently a lot of people have done it. They've gone out to Lake Oconee and they've crowded the lake and uh, Lake Sinclair and, and Lake Lanier as well. And the police now are thinking they're going to have to patrol and break up large crowds of people because people aren't taking it as seriously as, as they need. And I got to, can we be honest? Can I be honest for just a minute with you? All I've talked about for three weeks is this freaking virus. And I am tired of talking about it. And I have to talk about it because it's the news story. It, it is the news of the day. It is a contagious virus. 3% of the people who get it in Georgia are dying of it. And it is highly contagious, more contagious than the flu. And there is a large amount of disinformation and misinformation out there about it. I, I get emails all the time. The models are wrong. The scientists are wrong. The doctors are wrong. It's all fake. It's all about attacking the president, uh, which then begs the question of why is the president taking it so seriously? Uh, why are his advisors taking it seriously? Why are they saying 100,000 people dead? That's from the White House. Why are they doing this if it's no big deal? But then I look at the data. Hey, Siri. How many people are in Georgia? I just curious. The state of Georgia, 
a population of how many people? 10,214,860 people in 2015, according to Sirius. So, so let's, let's do 10,500,000 people. And then you look at the data. There are only 2,683 people in the state of Georgia. 2,683 people in the state of Georgia, a population of 10.5 million people. Is it really that bad? I, I understand why people are looking at this and thinking, is it really that bad? What are the odds that I'm going to get it? You're playing the odds. But but here's here's the issue that you got to understand is it's not about you getting the virus. What we know is that 20% of the people who get the virus wind up in the hospital. And 3% of the people who get the virus die. It's not even really about you dying. There are only, of the 2,683 cases, only 83 have died. That's just 3%. And that's 3% of 2,683, uh, 2,683, not 3% of 10.5 million people in Georgia. But the problem is hospital resources. You, you go out to Lake Oconee. They, they got a lot of wealthier people who live out on Lake Oconee now in Greene County. are gorgeous here. I, I, I would kill to be out there right now. But they don't have a massive healthcare facility there. They got a nice hospital in the area, but they don't have a massive one. You go to Macon, they've got a, the Coliseum Hospital and Northside Coliseum. They got the medical center. They got big hospitals. You go to Atlanta, they got multiple big hospitals. You go to Noonan, got big hospitals. But they they have a certain number of beds. And the problem with this virus is not that everybody's going to get it. It's not that even twenty five percent of the public is going to get it. The problem is that enough people are going to get it if we spread it that there will be more people who need hospitalization than there are hospital beds. That's why you got to stay home. So when you hear the numbers intuitively, it doesn't make sense. Why are we all sheltering in place when only 2,600 people have this out of a population of 10.5 million people in the state? The problem is that because so many people who get it wind up needing the hospital, that if it does spread like the seasonal flu were to spread, if we did nothing, then we would max out our hospital capacity in the state. And a lot of people who need critical care wouldn't be able to get it because the hospitals would be full with people with the virus. That's why we're doing it, and that's why you need to stay home. And if you're on the lake, one, I'm jealous, and two, don't have a large crowd. Just a reminder, if you text the word DATA to 33777, I'm going to text you back. Uh, I'm not going to ask for your email address or anything. I'm just going to send you a text back, and it's going to be to a newsletter that I'm compiling relevant links uh, that you're going to want to see. Uh, it's divided into sections. So the first section is virus tracking. It has the data from Johns Hopkins University Medical Center. It's got the state of Georgia numbers. It's got the U.S. specific spreadsheet on testing and transmission and deaths. It's got the projection models for each state you can see. It's got the stimulus plan data. There's a handy info from Senator Rubio's office for individuals and nonprofits. There's the Chamber of Commerce primer for small businesses and how you can get loans that convert to grants if you keep your payroll going. There's the CNN overview of, of what's all in the stimulus. There's the Small Business Administration disaster loan page. Uh, there's the comparison between the flu and COVID-19. For, for all your friends who still think this is just the common cold or flu, uh, there's a great comparison put together by the advocate, uh, the big Louisiana newspaper uh, and, and the uh, New Orleans newspaper. And uh, there's the New York Times link that has the lockdown and limitations by state. So you can click on George on the map and see which cities are locked down completely. And George is kind of confusing because some municipalities aren't actually doing a lockdown, but they're closing non-essential businesses. And it's amazing to see which businesses have decided that they are essential businesses and staying open. Uh, but you can get all of this by texting data to 33777. Uh, and I'll send you back that link. I would just keep that link saved because I'm going to keep updating that as, as other links come in. I may even have to put in the 
sourdough starter recipe for those of you. So I, I've decided to start doing a sourdough starter. I've wanted to do one for a while now uh, and finally decided I, I'm not going on spring break. Uh, I'm staying home. I'm doing radio. The kids are off, but I want to bake bread. So might as well. And have you heard, there's actually a huge shortage of yeast and flour at the grocery store now because of everyone deciding they want to try bed breaking or bed breaking. It's bread baking. So I'm not alone. <laughs> there's a bed breaking story in there too over this virus, but we won't worry about the future quarantines of America. <laughs> Nonetheless, uh, I have a homework assignment for all of you. If it's age appropriate over the age of 18 and you have Netflix, we need to watch this Tiger Joe show because I've decided I need to watch it so I can actually talk about it because apparently 90% of the country uh, is watching the show and I, I don't want to be in the 10%. Uh, we, we need to find common ground here across partisan lines. So I'm going to watch this Tiger Joe documentary on Netflix and those of you who can and want to, you should watch it as well. And we're going to discuss this show because it's something other than the virus to talk about and we got to find non-virus stuff to talk about. Eric Erickson here. You guys have a great day. I'll talk to you tomorrow.